Well, good morning, Peninsula Bible Church. It is uh, always awesome to worship with you. Grateful to be here with you uh, studying the book of Ezra together. David Wilcox is one of my favorite singer-songwriters. He writes some penetrating lyrics. Listen to this uh, about what he says concerning what's going on inside his head. I've got, a, such a, I've got such a mess between my ears like dishes in a sink. Stuff I don't believe just tumbles in till I don't have time to think. All my failures are on display. The broken dreams of yesterday. The stuff I should have thrown away, but I've kept it here instead. I've got to empty out the inside of my head. You ever felt that way? That there's so much stuff going on up there. And you're asking yourself, where did this come from? Did it come from me? Did it come from somewhere else? Did it come from God, maybe? Who knows? What do you do about the mess inside your head? And what is true anyway? You ever wonder about that? All this stuff that's happening up here, what's true and what isn't true? What can I bank on and what do I need to throw away? Well, we looked at Ezra chapter 3 last week, and we saw that the returning exiles there finished the foundation. And what we're going to see as we move into Ezra chapter 4 today is that they're going to continue the work that they have begun building the temple, rebuilding the temple that was destroyed in 586 B.C. But there is opposition. The people of the land are not really thrilled about this endeavor. So let's take it up, Ezra chapter 4. First of all, we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin, those are the two tribes of Israel that returned from exile, heard that the returned exiles were building the temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do. And we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, uh, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of the father's houses in Israel said to them, You have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God, but we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So you have these people in the land who are living in the land as the people of God are rebuilding the temple and they offer to help. But it's clear that their offer of help is insincere. And the leaders of Israel are able to see through all of this. Now, it is possible, of course, to partner with those outside of the faith uh, in common causes for righteous causes. But the people of Israel, the leaders at this time, discern that it is not possible to partner with these people at this time for this cause, for the cause of rebuilding the temple. They're able to re, uh, see through this offer and realize that it is insincere. Their wisdom proves to be wise indeed because in the end, the adversaries of Israel show their true colors. Their plan all along apparently was to infiltrate the people of God and use their offer of help as a ruse in order to destroy this whole work that the people are endeavoring to do. 
So in the end, they resort to plan B, which is psychological manipulation and bribery. So let's think about us today. How do we relate to this? Now, I've been at PBC for 27 years. I have not yet heard of someone coming from outside the faith, coming inside here, offering to help us in some way with the intention of destroying us. That's not to say that it couldn't happen. I'm just not aware of anything like that happening in all my time at PBC. That's not to say that it couldn't happen. And by all means, we must be on the lookout for all sorts of wolves in all sorts of sheep's clothing. And remember, Jesus told us this in Matthew chapter 10, 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocents as in, innocent as doves. And if we are as Jesus tells us to be, then it is indeed possible for us to partner with those outside of the faith for the purpose of righteous causes. For example, we can partner with those who don't believe in Jesus in the support of the poor and also in support of the unborn, for example. And of course, let's not be so consumed by who the enemies out there might be that we lose sight of where the real battle lies. For the Apostle Paul tells us this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That is humanity, human enemies. Behind all the human enemies, there is a spiritual enemy who is absolutely wicked. And what the spiritual enemy does, that is Satan and his demons, what they do is exactly what the people of the land tried to do back in Ezra chapter 4. They tried to infiltrate us with offers and suggestions to help. These, these thoughts appear in your mind from time to time as helpful suggestions, but they are in actuality extremely harmful and deadly, and they must be resisted. How do these thoughts appear to us? Well, Satan is very clever. He does all sorts of things in all sorts of ways. One of the ways he does this is through the screens that you are looking at. What you are reading and hearing and seeing on your screens, all sorts of ideas come to you through that medium. So you have to be able to recognize what they are. You have to be able to discern what is true from what is false. And, and, and one of the suggestions that comes to us repeatedly in our culture is this. And many people in our part of the world buy into it. You can do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. That suggestion comes straight from the pit of hell. Now, in, in C.S. Lewis's fanciful novel, The Great Divorce, the depiction of hell, in hell, you are actually able to do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. And in The Great Divorce, everyone in hell does whatever he or she wants to do, and everyone is miserable. And in fact, what you can do in the novel, if you are in hell, you can actually go to the outskirts of heaven if you want. So there is this bus ride, this, this tour to go to heaven. And they get to the outskirts, and they can't stand the place. 
because it is too real. So they turn around and they go back. You can do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. That's a lie. It comes from the evil one. It must be resisted. So what do we do with the mess between our ears? Paul says this in Romans and Ephesians and Colossians. Renew your mind. Renew your mind. One of the things I hope you're doing this morning is renewing your mind. You're coming here. You're worshiping based on truth. You're hearing the word of God. We need to renew our minds in the scriptures so we're able to discern what is true and what is not true and so that we are able to take every thought captive so that we can obey Christ and not the evil one. Thomas More says this in this, uh, this great play, in this great movie, in my opinion, not in the opinion of all, called A Man for All Seasons. He said, God made humanity to serve him wittily in the tangle of his mind. In the tangle of our mind, we serve God wittily in order to follow Jesus. Dallas Willard puts it this way. The ultimate freedom we have as individuals is the power to select what we will allow or require our minds to dwell upon and think about. People talk about freedom. Here's the freedom we have. The focus of your thoughts significantly affects everything else that happens in your life and evokes the feelings that frame your world and motivate your actions. We bring the reality of God to our lives by making contact with him through our minds. And our actions are based on the understanding that results from the fullness of that contact. Do you understand what he's saying? We have control over what we think about. You make contact with God, with your mind, through your thoughts, through your prayers. The mind is tremendously important. And Paul says this, Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things or dwell on these things. You have control over your mind. What you do with your mind, you have control over. What you think about, you have control over. What you dwell on, use your mind, serve God wittily, in the tangle of your mind. And as we renew our minds in the scriptures, it becomes clear to us that some things are clear and clearly important, and some things are not as clear and not as clearly important. You know, it's it's really interesting. I've just been in the scriptures for so many years, and, you know, even this chapter, I'm going, what's going on here? And and, and I'm looking at... uh, I'll talk, talk about in a second about the rest of the chapter. And even Paul Taylor is coming into me. What's this all about? And when Paul and I were talking, you know, this is, this is, okay, I'll talk about it in a second. This, the middle of the whole section is a flash forward. So it was kind of confusing. And you, and you look at the scriptures, okay, that some things are not exactly clear. In fact, you know what Peter says about the writings of Paul? This is quite remarkable. He says, some of the things in Paul's letters are hard to understand. 
It's a remarkable statement when you think about it, that one inspired apostle writing the New Testament would write in that part of the New Testament saying of another inspired apostle inspired by the Holy Spirit who is writing Holy Scripture, that some of the things that that guy says, that's hard to understand. Now, you'd think, well, maybe you wouldn't think, I, I might think, that, you know, if, if God's going to give us Scripture, it's going to make it nice and easy for us. Easy to understand. Very simple. Some things are easy to understand. Some things are simple. Some things are quite complex. So we have to be very grace-oriented with one another, especially regarding those issues that aren't so clear. One of the things that the evil one wants to do is to create factions in the church based on less important issues. One of the things the evil one wants to do these days is to create factions in the church based on political differences. Richard Loveless is a scholar who says this, we're operating like an army without intelligence, beating the air and one another at times, fighting flesh and blood instead of the principalities and powers that lie behind them. What political party should you affiliate with? Should you affiliate with any political party? How should you vote? After 35 years of intensely trying to renew my mind in the scriptures, I will tell you the answer to these questions. I don't know. I don't know how you should vote. I don't know what party you should affiliate yourself with. I don't know whether you should affiliate with any political party at all. Here, what we do at PBC is we uphold biblical values very, very strongly, but we understand that there's more than one way to vote based on those values. And we try really, really, really hard to love one another. We can't do it by ourselves. We need the Spirit of God to help us to do that. All right. Here comes the tricky part in Ezra chapter 4. Verses 6 through, 20, through 23 are a flash forward. So this is pointing to the future and what happened in the future from their perspective at that particular time in order to show us that the opposition continued beyond the reign of Cyrus into the reigns of future Persian kings. So then the people of the land in the future wrote two different letters to two different kings in opposition to what the people were doing back in the land of Canaan. So uh, one letter is written and then the second letter is written. We don't know the content of the first letter, but we're given lots of information regarding the content of the second letter. So let's pick up that in verse 11. This is, this is a copy of the letter that they sent to Artaxerxes, that's a future king, Artaxerxes the king, your servants, the men of the province beyond the river, send greeting, and now be it known to the king that the Jews who came up from you to us have gone to Jerusalem. They are rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city, looking forward to the future. Earlier, we were talking about rebuilding the temple. Now they're talking about what happened in the future, rebuilding the city and the walls. They are finishing the walls and repairing the foundations. 
Now be it known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and the walls finished, they will not pay tribute, custom, or toll, and the royal revenue will be impaired. Now because we eat the salt of the palace and it is not fitting for us to witness the king's dishonor, therefore we send and inform the king in order that search may be made in the book of the records of your fathers, you will find in the book of the records and learn that this city is a rebellious city, hurtful to kings and provinces, and that sedition was stirred up in, in it from of old. That was why the city was laid waste. We make known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and its walls finished, you will then have no possession in the province beyond the river. So here now the people of the land call the people of Israel, the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, the returning exiles, wicked and rebellious, a serious accusation. So they write this letter to the king in order to persuade the king to make the people stop this work on the city and the walls. They say, if you let this continue, they're not going to pay tribute. They're not going to pay taxes to you anymore. A rebellion possibly could spread throughout. Now, go ahead and search the records. If you can find out for yourself, please, king, look at the records and find out that these people are wicked. They're rebellious. There's been rebellion in the past. And indeed, you know what? There has been. Back, uh, back in the day. Uh, the people of Israel, Judah and Benjamin, the southern kingdom, they rebelled against Babylon. And then Babylon responded by putting down the rebellion. And that's how the city and the temple were destroyed. Because the people rebelled against Babylon, Babylon then destroyed Jerusalem. But in reality, all of this is happening for a theological reason, or did happen for a theological reason, because the people rebelled against the Lord. They went against the Lord. They chose other gods. They went into, into idolatry decade after decade, century after century, until finally God raised up Babylon precisely to destroy Jerusalem and send the people off into exile. So the people then were, were viewed as rebellious and wicked. How is the church viewed today in our world? Probably not in a really favorable light. The church, by and large, is not viewed in a favorable light today. What can we do about that? I'm not sure how much we can do about that. And we can't be overly concerned with how we are viewed. What we have to be concerned with is how we are. Who are we? What are we doing? We need to be concerned about that as opposed to how we are being viewed. We need to be concerned with whether we, are, we, whether we actually are being rebellious, rebellious against the Lord, that is. We must make sure that we are renewing our minds so that we can follow him wherever he leads us. And one of the things, of course, the Lord wants us to do is to submit to governing authorities wherever we can. And if we are renewing our minds and following Jesus and we are being accused of being wicked or rebellious, we're just going to have to live with those accusations, whether they are true or not. We must concern ourselves with how we are, renewing our minds, following Jesus, and however we're viewed because of that, we just have to live with that and let God take care of our reputations. 
So now here's the request that has been made by the people of the land to the king. Stop this work. How does the king respond? We pick that up in verse 17. The king sent an answer to Rehum, the commander, and Shimshai, the scribe, and the rest of their associates who live in Samaria and the rest of the province beyond the river, greeting. And now, the letter that you, the letter that you sent to us has been plainly read before me. And I made a decree, and search has been made, and it has been found that this city, that's Jerusalem, from of old, has risen against kings, and that rebellion and sedition have been made in it. And mighty kings have been over Jerusalem, who ruled over the whole province beyond the river, that's beyond the the Euphrates River, west of the Euphrates River, to whom tribute, custom, and toll were paid. Therefore make a decree." Therefore, uh, make a decree and that these men may be made to cease and that this city be not rebuilt until a decree is made by me and take care not to be slack in this matter. Why should damage grow to the hurt of the king? Then the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehum and Shimshai, the scribe and their associates. They went in haste to the Jews at Jerusalem and by force of power made them cease. So the order comes back from the king, cease and desist. Stop building, stop working on the city and stop working on the walls. So what happens then? The king at the behest of the people of the land reigns in the people of God and they stop working on the city and they stop working on the walls. So how are we dealing with governing authorities today? What they order, what they don't order. And some would say that governing authorities have used the pandemic as an opportunity to rein in the church. This is what they've always wanted to do. And that's what what they're doing now. They're wanting to rein in the church because they don't like what we're doing. Well, I don't see it that way. And I, I, I think we have to be very careful about thinking that we can get into the minds and the hearts of other people and ascribe to them certain motives. You have to be very careful when you're thinking about, when you look at actions and and derive from those actions, oh, here's what they really want to do. We don't need to necessarily create enemies where no enemies exist. And that's one of the things that's happening in our world today. People are really wanting to have enemies. You build your brand by creating an enemy. You, you nurture your tribe by creating an enemy. There's an other out there. There's an evil other out there that must be defeated. We don't need to be that way. We don't need to beat against flesh and blood. We need to fight the evil one. So, you know, the, the governing authorities haven't asked us to do anything that they haven't asked theaters to do. Okay, so, but now there's no guarantee about what the future holds, folks. You know, who knows where everything is going and everything may go south. We don't know that. So should we be worried about that? Should we be worried about the human enemies out there and what they're going to do to us and make us do or make us not do? Well, The narrative now resumes in verse 24 by going back again to what he was talking about in the first few verses. 
So now we're, the flash forward is finished, and now we're going back to what happened with the original enemies of the people, the enemies in the land who were trying to get them to stop their work. Here's what verse 24 says. Then the work on the house of God, not the city, not the walls, the house of God, the temple that is in Jerusalem stopped, and it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So the people of Israel capitulate then to the machinations of the people of the land, and they stop building the temple. They stop work on the temple. And we must not capitulate to the machinations of the evil one. We have to continually renew our minds in order that we continue to build and rebuild the house of God, which is us, which is our community, which is the church. You know, the, the people of Israel back then said that the king, Cyrus, has commissioned us to build the temple. You shouldn't stop us because the, the, the king has commissioned us. Well, who commissions us to build the house of God? Who commissions us to build the church? Who commissions us to build the community? It is a different king. It is King Jesus. And what did Jesus say about building the church? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We need to renew our minds. And if we renew our minds, friends, we have nothing to worry about. Renew your minds with the truth. Believe what is true. Apply your minds to the truth and you have nothing to worry about. Jesus is building his church the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We need to be aware of what's going, around, going on around us, but we need not be worried because nothing can stop Jesus. Nothing can stop Jesus. He is building his church. Nothing can stop him. And we are participating in that building project, which means nothing can stop us if we're being faithful to the Lord. So if Jesus is building his church, one of the things we have to do with our minds is to be watchful. To be watchful for how Jesus is doing this. What's he doing here? What's he doing there? What's he doing in this life? What's he doing in that life? What's he doing in this group? What's he doing in that group? What's he doing among the young in our church? What's he doing among the old in our church? What is Jesus doing? Just just pay attention to that. Be watchful because Jesus is doing something. He says he is. I will build my church. That's what he's doing. He says he's doing it. Can we watch for that? As opposed to being so watchful for the enemies. Yeah, you have to be watchful for that. You have to be watchful for the wolves. But Jesus is going to take care of all this stuff if we just trust him and follow him. Watch. Watch for how Jesus is building his church. Two weeks ago, we went away for the fall retreat, and uh, I had an opportunity for a few days to watch. Participate, yes, but also to watch. Now, when we first started planning the fall retreat, we did not know whether we would be able to have it. Once we had a pretty good idea that Mission Springs would allow us to have it, 
We did not know whether anyone would want to come during the pandemic. What if you plan a retreat and no one comes? Well, it turns out we had a waiting list. (laughs) Turns out a lot of people wanted to come. Thankfully, we were able to get everyone off of the waiting list. Now, at the retreat, four of our younger pastors preached great sermons, which bodes well for the future. And then I watched our host for the weekend, Oliver Miao. And I remembered back, and Oliver's talked about that. I remembered back to when Oliver first came to PBC some 20 years ago. He was not only an unbeliever, he was an anti-Christian. Jesus turned him around. And then we baptized these uh, two young men. Uh, One was 12 years old, one was a little bit older. And um, I, I, I always, before I baptize anyone, I always meet with them. And I met with, the, with uh, Caleb, Caleb Gray. And uh, he was 12 years old and just really a great kid. And in the course of meeting with him, I discovered that his father, Eric Gray, was baptized at our very first fall retreat 19 years ago at Mission Springs in the very same pool that I was going to baptize him in. Isn't that beautiful? So then when we baptized Caleb, he, uh, you know, his, his father, Eric, got in the pool with me and helped me to baptize his son. And Eric gets into the same pool that he was baptized in 19 years earlier to help me baptize his son. You can't plan this stuff. Jesus is building his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Trust the Lord. What do you do about the mess between your ears when you feel as if you have to empty out your mind because it's so confusing up there? Ask yourself this question. Very simple exercise that's helpful to me. Ask yourself the question, what is true? Just ask a very simple question. What is true? Have at the ready an answer or multiple answers from the scriptures, from favorite scriptures that you know or have memorized. Maybe it's just one little phrase in the middle of your day, when you are worried, when you are anxious, when you're all stressed out because of everything that's going on in your mind, ask yourself the question, what is true? Have it already some easy, simple answer from the scriptures. Lately, I've been turning to Psalm 23, verse 1. And as I said a few weeks ago, the better translation these days for the word want is lack. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. What is true? The Lord is your shepherd, you shall not lack. That's true. Renew your mind. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are bombarded with thoughts. And some good stuff comes from us. Some good stuff and great stuff appears in our minds from you. I pray, Lord, that by your spirit, you would help us to sort all of these things out, that we would be able to, in the moment of our stress and anxiety, turn to you and to ask even the question, what is true? And to renew our minds with the truth. The 
Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. 